0: Easter 2023 message spoken by Pastor Peter on We come and gather together like this once a year to remember not just the it's not a memorial service that we remember something that happened 2,000 years ago but Easter changes everything Easter literally has the capacity to transform your life and my life because there's so much power in what we believe in today. When Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, it changes everything. One of the critical things that you and I know is this. Death has lost its sting. Meaning sin no longer has the power to destroy your life and my life. Amen? Amen. That's the Easter message. The Easter message that there's no sin that you could ever commit that could ever separate you from the love of God. That if you were to confess your sins to him, Jesus Christ has established his position so that we can go before him. But what it also teaches us is that no matter what sins that have been done to us or what sins we have done to other people, Easter teaches us that we can still embrace and live in this new humanity in which we're going to look at today. Uh, I'm a proud father of three adult children, but when they were younger, we have a picture of them when they were younger. This one we were in Korea about nine years ago. Uh, we, I was out there for about two and a half months. It was just such a great journey. Look how small they were back then, but now, this is a picture we took last Saturday for my wife's birthday. They have grown to be adults. Uh, they're great kids, and I want to tell you, and then they're here so they can confess this. I believe they're, uh, I know what they're going to say. They really like me. They think I'm actually kind of hilarious, which I think is cool, but we have a real healthy relationship with each other. We do. We love each other. I'm grateful for that relationship that they have with their father, that they have with their mother. That is so cool. It's so cool. But you know what would really hurt me? And I don't know if I could be okay with it, is if they didn't get along. That if the three of them did not get along and they didn't didn't like each other. They just kind of tolerated each other. That happens in a relationship. A couple months ago, we were downstairs, Jenny and I just kind of hanging out at night, and I just hear so much laughter upstairs because the girls had just come home from school. They were all laughing at the top of their lungs. I'm thinking, what's going on? Why are they laughing so much? So I go upstairs, and here's what I see when I go upstairs. I see them three just laying down amongst each other, just joking around, laughing, and they throw up their peace sign or the do sign, whatever that is, just saying that they're having a great time, right? I took a picture of that and I showed it to my wife when I went downstairs and I showed it to her and she said, You know what? At the end of the day, I don't care how, I don't care if they become successful in life, whatever, whatever they do in their vocation, this is all I care about. That when we die, I know that they're going to be in love. They're going to love each other. They're going to support each other no matter what. And I thought about that for a moment. Isn't that what our father would want for you and I? That it's great when we come to Easter and we talk about how he's established this relationship with us. It's so great for us to talk about our relationship with God. That because of Jesus Christ resurrecting from the dead. That you would now have this relationship, this intimate relationship with God. Because of what Christ has done for us. And I know God loves that fact. But I think God also desires us in this room that we, too, would be able to lock arms and laugh and be in life together, no matter how different we might be. You see, what Paul's going to encourage you and I to do today is he's going to encourage us, will we rise on this Easter Sunday? Because he's going to share with us that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he's created this new humanity that you and I can live in. This new humanity in which the world does not live in right now. And he's going to encourage us, will we be a part of this? Will we rise and be able to live in that new humanity? Or will we continue to live in the world in which you and I live in today, which is the American culture? The thing that has destroyed our ability to be brothers and sisters in Christ is a sin called racism. That is what divides us. Now, I know sometimes when we hear that word, we kind of get a little weirded out because we don't feel like that word belongs to church. Yeah, the church has silenced that word from being spoken many times. When I say the church, I'm talking about the church, capital C. We don't like talking about it, but why is it that we like, well, okay, we're talking about lust, adultery, greed, unforgiveness. But when we talk about racism, it impacts us in a a certain way where some of us respond to it at a visceral level. We're more a part of this culture than we want to give ourselves credit for. And we're going to take a look today. Paul's going to invite us. Will we rise on this Easter Sunday to live in this new humanity in which Christ has created for you and I through his death and resurrection? How do we do that? How does Easter inform us but creates a place where we can all come together and live in this new humanity? That's what I want to talk to you about today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 11-22. through 22. I'm reading for the New International Version. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentile by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads for for a moment of prayer. Lord, you inspired Paul to write this 2,000 years ago because he knew the challenge of what divisions can be created in our society today. And God, I pray that you'll help us as we look at this passage. You'll help us and speak to us in a profound way that only you can. Of what you want us to learn. So, God, that we can live in this new humanity that you've called us to live in on this Easter Sunday. That we would rise as people and live in this new humanity. We thank you that there's power in the resurrection. And so I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room. I pray that it would indeed be pleasing unto you, and it's in your name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. When we talk about Easter, usually we always focus on our relationship with God, and that's true, right? It's about our relationship with God. And, uh, but we often forget about this idea of about our relationship with one another. And Paul, what he's talking about, and in the first 10 verses, he actually establishes that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we now have this intimacy with God. Right? Nothing can ever separate us from the love of God because of his death and resurrection. That's true. But then the next 12 verses from 11 to 22, Paul talks real deeply about this new humanity. That because Christ has resurrected from the dead, you and I can now live in this new humanity. And the key theological word in this passage is the word peace is that word peace. It appears three times, all right? Is that word peace. Remember, pay attention to repetition again in the Bible. It's that word peace. Now, peace isn't necessarily the absence of conflict. That's not what peace is. In fact, when Paul talks about peace, he's saying that you and I can only live in this kind of peace when we are in his presence. So again, the the reality, the picture that I want you to see is this. In order for us to live in this new humanity, peace The peace of Jesus Christ, his presence is critical for you and I to live in this new humanity. Now that word peace in the Greek New Testament, what it means is righteousness, justice, wholeness, and salvation. That is the theological definition of the word peace in the New Testament. And isn't that what Jesus Christ did on Easter Sunday in terms of our relationship with God? That because he resurrected from the dead, we are now righteous in God's eyes. That he we are, God has justified us, that there is a wholeness that you and I can experience. We can't attain this wholeness on our own. Christ has established this wholeness for us. And that Jesus has saved us, that there is salvation, that you and I live under the power of his salvation. That is what Easter is about. But the other aspect is about this horizontal relationship. Not only does god want us to experience that peace for ourselves but what he wants us to experience now is he wants us to be the dispenser of that peace to his people he wants us to bring forth righteousness justice wholeness and salvation to his people that is what the power of the resurrection can do that because we live in the presence of jesus christ that we can now bring forth wholeness righteousness justice And salvation in this world we can be the people who brings forth peace this is the new humanity this is the new humanity which Christ has created will we rise up on this Easter Sunday to live within it or will we continue to live in the American caste system in which Isabel Wilkerson talks about in her great book called caste. Here's what she says about the American caste system. We all live in this caste system because we live in the United States. She says, in the American caste system, the signal of rank is what we call race. The division of humans on the basis of their appearance. Caste is the bones, race the skin. Caste is fixed and rigid race is fluid and superficial, subject to periodic redefinition to meet the needs of the dominant caste in what is now the United States of America. That's what she says. The book is pretty profound. She's a professor, and she's done some study, and what she says is that there is an American caste system, and that's a better word to use than racism. It's This caste system that has been created that's 400 years old. The American caste system simply states that if you are white, you are at the top of the caste system. All right? Right below that is Asians, according to Isabel Wilkerson. Below that is brown people. And then below that, the last are black people. That is the caste system that this country has created. 400 years ago, and it goes through redefinition according to how the dominant caste wants to redefine it in certain ways, right? And that's what they've done. And so the challenge that we have to make today is that on this Easter Sunday, will we continue to perpetuate, be perpetuators of the American caste system, or will we believe that because Christ has resurrected from the dead, we can live in this new humanity? Will we believe in that? Will we be able to live into that? Will we be the dispensers of peace that we would bring justice and wholeness and salvation and righteousness in the world in which you and I live in today? I know some of you are so exhausted. Like, I don't know if I have enough energy anymore to do this. It's too much. And for some of you, you're saying, Peter, stop being so political. Listen, racial justice is not a political issue. It's a gospel issue. We see it right here in this passage. It's so of the heart of God, because God wants you and I to live in this new humanity. Now I wish I could tell you that Christians are living into this new humanity. It's odd that because Christ is resurrected from the dead and we celebrate Easter year after year, that we forget the power, and unfortunately, Christians are the ones responsible for the American caste system. When Jim Crow was abolished I don't know you should know this when Jim Crow was abolished, did you know what happened? White students were now being forced to be integrated with black students in America. This was the history, if you read the history books. Do you know what Christians did? They started their own Christian schools and universities. Why? Because they wanted to protect their white kids from being integrated with black kids. Do you guys know that the original founders of the Ku Klux Klan, what we know as the KKK, were Protestant men? Do you know that? Do you know that Martin Luther King said that the 11 o'clock hour on a Sunday morning is still the most divided hour in our country, and it's 2023, and he's still correct? And so we cannot say that we're doing a great job in living in this new humanity. In fact, it's sorry. In fact, the church are one of the greatest perpetrators of the American caste system. We just have to come to the reality of that. Because we have Jesus Christ lives inside of us, because of this resurrection power that you and I can live into today, we can rise and we can be better than our forefathers. We can live into this new humanity. We really can. How do we do it? How do we live into this new humanity? Let me give you two suggestions in this passage that Paul talks about how you and I can live in this new humanity. First, Easter allows us to live in this new humanity because we are joined together. We are joined together. Verse 12 through 16, and then 19 to 22. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the Prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. When when the U.S. we when the society talks about racial justice, all they could hope for is equality. That's it. And that's why we as Christians must not. We cannot let. The world try to take care of racial justice because in God's economy, racial justice is not about equality. It's not about equity. You know what it's about? Unity. Because Jesus has joined us together. It's deeper than equality. It's about unity. Jesus Christ has joined every single one of us together. And he wants you and I to realize that on this Easter Sunday. That you don't have to try to bring people together we don't have to try to make this happen. All he wants you and I to be is to be intentional. Jesus Christ has already joined us together. We just have to be intentional about it, amen? amen? That's all he desires from you and I so that we can be a reflection of what it's going to be like in heaven. Found in Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 through 10. Look at Revelation 7, 9 through 10. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, every tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue will come together and will worship God. That is the heavenly reality that you and I are going to experience. And we learned this last Sunday Eternal life doesn't just mean heaven when you die. Eternal life can also be experienced in the presence. And that's why he wants us to come together. Jesus Christ didn't just die and rise from the dead so that you can have a great relation with God. I mean, that's part of it. But it's so that we can create and live in this new humanity. So that all tribes, all tongues can come together and declare salvation belongs to our God. Jesus has joined us together. You see, privilege in this country, um, It divides. It's always meant to divide. There is no such thing as privilege joining us together. I mean, for a few years, my friend gifted me United Airlines 1K status. I had that for two years. Do you know how amazing that was? Do you know what kind of privilege you get if you're United 1K? You're always the first ones to board. You never have to worry about checking your luggage at the gate because you can always put your luggage in the overhead compartment. No problem there. Do you know how many times I got upgraded to business class? I didn't have to pay for it. I didn't even have to ask. They just upgraded me. Do you know what I am now? (laughs) I'm silver, man. Man, I'm like the bottom of the barrel. You know how many times I had to check in my luggage at the gate? Because I can't board first anymore. I've lost the privilege. Privilege in this country divides. And we see that white privilege still exists. Can I remind you, January 6, 2021, what happened there? Tens of thousands of people, white people, got together. They invaded the U.S. Capitol. And what did they do? Most, most of which were Christian men and women. They were holding signs saying, Jesus saves. They were hugging the cross. They not only broke into the Capitol to vandalize the Capitol but they wanted to harm our government workers. And when I watched the horror on TV, I said to myself, I wonder what would have happened if that was tens of thousands of black people. It would have been a bloody mess because many of them would have been shot down. They wouldn't even have been able to even climb up those walls of the Capitol. The reality is that privilege divides in the world. But God has given you and I privilege because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That privilege unites us. It allows us to live in this new humanity. Jesus Christ has joined us together. We don't have to try to make this happen. It's already happened. We just have to be intentional about it. You and I have to be willing to be intentional about it. So will you fight for this peace? Will you fight for this peace today? Because it's not easy. I'm saying you got to be intentional, so it's not easy. But will you fight for this peace? Because the world doesn't want you to, and I'm going to go as far as to say, the church doesn't want you to do that. But Paul says, because of Christ's blood, because of his death and resurrection, there is a new humanity which you and I can live in. Hey, there are about 30 different ethnic groups represented in this church. 30. You don't have to look far. Our challenge is this. Will we learn to live in this new humanity together as a church? That's our challenge. Or... Are we gonna just tolerate each other? Guys, I didn't sign up for that. I don't wanna lead a church that just tolerates one another. I want you to look at everyone in this room, people who might look different than you, and I want you to believe in your heart, this is my brother and sister in Christ. Why? Because Christ has joined us together. That's the power of the resurrection. We need to be intentional about it. Will you listen to what's going on And people, will you hear what our white, black, brown, Asian brothers and sisters are saying? And can we come to the table and let our commonalities be our brokenness and weaknesses rather than our strengths? Because when we come to the table with our strengths, we like to finger point and we get very defensive. But can we come with our brokenness? And can we begin to learn and love and live in this new humanity? That's my hope and prayer, man. That's what I signed up for 19 years ago. And I hope that we can continue to journey. It's been such a long road for me to learn this myself. The last thing I share with you, and then I'm done, all right? Easter allows us to live in this new humanity because Christ is above culture. Christ is above culture culture. Okay, look at verse 17. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostle and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Paul is saying that Jesus Christ will always be above our culture. No matter what culture you're from, Christ is always above our culture. Amen. Because our culture has a tendency to invade. And so many times it's always culture is first and Christ is second. We got to fight that. We have to fight that because Paul is saying Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Our cornerstone was a primary load-bearing stone that was used to build large structures in ancient times. And one cornerstone would weigh up to 570 tons. That's huge. That's the enormity of who Jesus Christ is. He is above our culture. Now what that does not mean is you need to ignore your culture. You can't do that. And please, don't say that you're colorblind. I get a, I respond viscerally when I hear people say, I'm colorblind, I don't see color. You better see color because God created color. Right? You better appreciate the pigmentation of people's skin because God is the one who created it. Right? And so I'm not saying that you cannot embrace your culture. You must. Some of you have to learn to embrace your culture because you don't. I meet a lot of Asian people like my age in their 40s and 50s like this. Right? Sometimes, what happens is that you come into this country and people make fun of you because you're Asian. And so, there's a lot of shame that's grown over the years. And sometimes just sh- you have this shame in being Asian, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, from Thailand, whatever it might be, Southeast Asia. And you have this shame, but you got to embrace who you are and how God's made you. All right? Some of you sort of repel yourself from your own culture simply because your people did not accept you. I know what that feels like. I saw it firsthand with my sister. Korean people did not accept my sister. And so because you felt like you were not accepted, you sort of deny your culture. That's wrong. You got to learn. You got to open yourself up. And you have to learn and appreciate why God made you who you are. Embracing that. But Christ is always above our culture. All right. Now, I can only speak for my own people, which are Korean Americans. And there are a lot of Koreans here. So I can speak for us. For us. For us. And I'm pretty sure this is the majority of us. But do we, have we ever asked ourselves how much our culture has informed our biases, has informed us to be racist? Do you guys realize, Koreans, like how much we've embraced white beauty in being the true mark of beauty? Have you ever thought about that for a second? That we take these white facial features to be the hallmark of what beauty is. All right, what am I talking about? Parents, when you give birth to your child, moms, when you give birth to your child, what is the thing that we are hoping for for our child? We're hoping that they would have the fold in their eyes, right, the fold, you know, I, I did some research this week, you know what that's called medically? The epicanthal fold. All right, that's what I, You are hoping and praying that your kid would have the epocantile fold. Now, a lot of you white, black, and brown people, you're like, what is an epocantile fold? Or, of course you don't know what an epocantile fold is because you all have one. Every single one of you have an epocantile fold. But for Koreans, we want our kids to be born with the epocantile fold because we want them to have big eyes. Because when Koreans are born without the epocantile fold, that's where we get the stereotypes of having smaller eyes. Have you ever stopped to think how much we've embraced white culture and seen that as idealism for true beauty? (laughs) When all my three kids were born, you know what Jenny and I would do when they were infants, (laughs) when they were sleeping? We would push their noses up so that they would have a bridge. Because sometimes Koreans are born with very flat noses, right? So we would do that and say, come on, grow, grow, grow. You can do it, grow. Because we want them to have a bridge on their nose. (laughs) Koreans want to be as pale as possible. They put on these huge hats so that sun won't hit their face because God forbid they have freckles like me. (laughs) It's not the mark of beauty. Do we ever stop and think about how much we've embraced white idealism in our own culture? And then if I can just be straightforward, have we ever thought about how Our Korean culture has informed us to be racist or embrace a caste system where we continue to see black people to be at the bottom of the caste, that how they've informed us to do that. You see, Jesus might live in your heart, but grandpa lives in your bones. And we have to ask ourselves, how much has my culture informed me so that I do not live in this near humanity? If you're black, if you're brown, if you're white, you got to ask yourself the same question. How much has my culture informed me in my life? And I know it's hard. I know for, for Asians, it's hard. I know it's difficult for us because when we've immigrated into this country, we immigrate in the 70s and 80s, most of the times in urban cities in America. And we were bullied and beaten many times by black and brown people. And I know there's a bitterness and there's an animosity that you have in your heart. And that's why a couple of years ago when we saw all this Asian hate happening on TV, and you saw that these people that were doing it were black, some of these people were black and brown. A lot of us, it was like kind of deja vu. It, it, evoked, it provoked all this like PTSD for us. And it wasn't good, it was unsettling for us. And we got angry and I get it. I get the pain. But you got to heal from it, because if you don't heal from it, you're going to continue to live in the caste system and be a proponent of it. you got to heal from this stuff. You really do, because when you do, then you get to see the beauty of how God made each and every one of us. And do you know how much we have to learn from each other? How much we can grow and help each other to spur each other on to be more like Jesus Christ if we can learn to live in this new humanity? So whatever you are, whatever ethnic group you are, you got to ask yourself, how has your culture truly informed you to live in this American caste system that you and I live in today? Because Jesus on this Sunday is asking us to rise. He's asking us to live in this new humanity. It was the dying wish of our Savior before he was crucified on the cross in John chapter 17 verses 20 to 23. Let me just remind you of what he prayed for before he was crucified on the cross. He said, my prayer is not for them alone, that's the apostles, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus knew that if people can live in this new humanity through his death and resurrection, people are going to know that Jesus is real. He's going to know it. And so our choice is simple on this Easter Sunday. Will you rise and live in this new humanity that Christ has joined us together with, that Christ is above any of our cultures, or will you continue to perpetuate this caste system that this country has continued to breathe on us and told us to live by for the past 400 years? Choice is really up to you. I struggle with this a lot. You know, my mom, you know, dad, when we grew up, we, we immigrated to the Bronx and, the, and, and Queens, and so it was hard for us. They had a business in 96th and Broadway. Most majority of our customers were black and brown people that came. And so they had their own ways of seeing black and brown people, and it was hard, and it informed me in ways that I didn't fully understand the depths of, but when I went to college, I realized this was hard, because I'd never had, had a friend who was black when I was in college, but I was an EOF student. I don't know if you know what an EOF student was, it's an equal opportunity fund. Um, My parents didn't make a lot of money, so I qualified to be EOF. But one of the things you have to do as an EOF student before freshman year starts, you gotta go to summer school. Because the majority of EOF students are behind. Because they live in poverty, they can't really focus on school for those four years in high school. And so to give them sort of a a chance for the freshman year, they got to go to summer school. So I went to summer school for two months, and I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know who would be there. I just said, okay, I'll go to this thing, and I went. And I couldn't believe it. About 250 students came to EOF. We were 250 students in our university who was an EOF student. It was just me, two other people that were Asian, uh, I think one white person, That was there and that was it everyone else was black and brown it was my very first experience i remember when i walked into my room and my roommate was black his name is billy i was nervous my mom looked at me she's like do you want to just come home i'll drive you every day to school i said i can't do that i gotta stay here she said be careful be careful and so that first night i didn't sleep at all I thought something was going to happen to me that night. It's the first time I was ever alone in a room with a black man. And then a couple days went on. And then I got to know Billy. And Billy was so cool, man. He's so cool. We start talking about different things. Start of, like, learning from our cultures. And one of the things I asked him, I was like, dude, why do you always turn the radio on at night? Because I can't even sleep. He has it on all night. And he said to me, he goes, the reason why is because where I'm from, Peter, the only way you can silence the noise outside is by putting on music. I was like, huh. 18 years later, I planned, um, many years later, I planned a Metro Community Church. And my first few years, again, just that was my experience. And then, but when I was sort of 18 years ago, when I planned this church, I went to a, a leadership gathering of about 15 pastors in Southern California. 11 were Korean American, two were black, and I think one was a brown person, right? And one white person. And we got together, we did some crazy stuff. We flew out of, you know, we jumped out of airplanes, we did all these crazy things. But one of the things that we did was that the pastor made us sit down, the leader, and he had us share our struggles in life. And people were sharing very personal stuff, like I'm burnt out, I'm struggling with this, this, like my personal relationship with my spouse, all that kind of stuff. And then this one guy, his name is Brian Loritz, one of the two black guys, he just says out of nowhere, he says, one of my greatest struggles is with Asian people. And I was just like, you're in a room full of Asians. What are you doing, man? Stop, you know, don't do this. And he said, I really struggle with Asian people because you guys keep looking down on me and my people. And yet you don't recognize what our people have done for you guys. That we have died and we have bled for the civil rights in this country. That without us doing that, There's no way minorities can come and have an equal chance in this country that we bled and died for it. And he said this, and he said, listen, I know you guys are brilliant. You guys work super hard. I'm not taking any of that away from us. And then he said this, he goes, we're not asking for your money. We're just asking for a little respect. Man, that man was keeping it 100. And that forced me to think about how has my culture informed me? How has my family informed me to disrespect the black? community. Alex G was the other black guy there. And he said, hey, I think we need to exchange numbers and perhaps start a friendship. And we did. And he has helped me so much over the years. I've helped him to learn about the Korean tradition. And Iran is the weirdest thing. All right. I took him out to Africa many years ago for the very first time. And then he took me out to Korea for the very first time. It's <laughs> really odd. And then one thing he realized, he said this to me. He said, Peter, I think you still have a lot of shame in being Korean you need to go to South Korea on your sabbatical. That picture that I showed you at the beginning, you need to go to South Korea and actually ask God why he made you Korean. Retrace your roots. Learn. Because he would ask me, what does your Korean name mean? And I was like, I have no idea. My Korean name is Chung Kun. Jenny makes fun of my name. She says, you know, that's the equivalent of somebody naming, me, somebody naming their child Bubba. It's a country name that like, eight, like back in the 1800s, people would be named Chunggun. Nobody's called Chunggun anymore. So just go to Korea, find out what your name means, and just retrace your roots. And man, it changed my life. I did that for two months. I learned what my name means. My name means Righteous Roots, Amen. Righteous Roots. My parents gave me that name even before they knew I was gonna be a pastor. A black man helped me to fall in love with my culture. I'm grateful for that. About eight years ago, I was talking with some of my staff members and we started. they were encouraging me to start a Korean black pastors gathering that would meet every month so that we can learn from each other. And we just got back together a few weeks ago because we've taken some time off because of COVID. It's a bunch of new people that are new Korean pastors, new black pastors. And one of these younger Korean pastors came up to me and was like, hey, 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 I wanna ask you a question. Who came up with the term model minority? And I was like, you don't know? He's like, yeah, who? I said, it's white people came up with that term to pit us against black people. And he's like, what? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, wow. He goes, I got a lot to learn. I was like, yeah, you got a lot to learn. (laughs) You have a lot to learn. A few years ago, I taught a a small little Korean history to our black pastors, a little bit about South Korea. And one of the things I I said, I said that in the early 70s, South Korea was the poorest nation in the world. One of my very close friends in his 60s, stopped me dead in my tracks. And he said, I don't believe you. There's no way that's true. South Korea was the poorest country in the world? I said, yes, it was. He said, no, 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 no. He said, it cannot be poorer than Haiti. It cannot be poorer than some countries in Africa. I said, I promise you, South Korea is the poorest nation in the world. And then he says this to me. This is why he's really good with his words. He said, I will concede and say South Korea was one of the poorest, but it's not the poorest country in the world. Then I said, ask Siri. LAUGHTER And so he did, and Siri said, South Korea. And then I just went on with my lesson. Oh, sorry. Quiet, Siri. All right. Um, (laughs) I just went on with my lesson, and about five minutes into it, he just stopped me, and he said, hey, I just have to confess something. He said, I'm 60-something years old. Up until this point in my life, I believe nobody struggled and lived in greater poverty than black people. He goes, you're changing my way of thinking now. And that's the beauty of this group. So we got together a couple of weeks ago and I said, my dream is one day I want to take all of our Korean pastors to a Sankofa journey to the American South to show them where the American caste system was birthed, to take a journey down there. Our denomination does something real beautiful. It's like I'll do some fundraising so that we can go there. And then my dream is to do some more fundraising and take our black pastors to South Korea one day so they can learn about Korean history. Why? Because Christ has created this new humanity. I don't have to do this, but I want to, because that's the power of the resurrection, that if our people can come together, our churches can come together and learn to do life and see the beauty of our culture, and also know that no matter what, Christ stands above it because he's joined us together, I think something powerful could be experienced. It's all tribes, all tongues coming together to declare salvation belongs to our God. So your choice on this Easter Sunday is this, will you rise and will you live in this new humanity? Will you be the dispensers of peace? Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Father, we just come to you right now and Lord, I know this is not an easy message, but God, it's a necessary one. God, I know it's very easy, and and it's easy for us to just continue to build friendships with people that look like us, and I think that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But God, for those who are part of this church, would you help us to be intentional about building relationships with people that don't look like us so we can see the beautiful tapestry of your mosaic of what you have come and caused us to experience in life? to live into this new humanity, to know that you've joined us together, and Christ, to know that you stand above our culture. That is my hope and prayer for this church on this Easter Sunday. It is in your name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.